0: Companies can have a negative impact on the environment by outputting excess carbon. Many companies want to reduce their net carbon impact to zero, which can be done by investing in forests. Pachama is a marketplace for forest investments. Pachama uses satellites, imaging, machine learning, and other techniques to determine how much carbon is being absorbed by different forests. Diego Sayez gill is a founder of Pachama and joins the show to talk through how Pachama works and the long-term goals for the company. If you'd like to support Software Daily, go to softwaredaily.com and become a paid subscriber. You can get access to ad-free episodes, and it costs $10 a month or $100 per year. Diego, welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Jeffrey. Excited to be here.
0: You work at Pachama. Pachama is a company that helps with carbon offsetting. Can you explain what carbon offsetting is? Sure.
1: This is an idea that was invented at the United Nations in the Kyoto Agreement, which was a predecessor to the famous Paris Agreement. And the idea is that as we move away from fossil fuels or as a way to incentivize the move away from fossil fuels, we need to make polluters, companies and countries, to compensate for the carbon emissions they're putting in the atmosphere that are causing climate change. Right, so there is a system by which then projects that either reduce emissions or remove carbon from the atmosphere can receive carbon credits equivalent to the amount of carbon that these projects are effectively reducing or removing, and then these companies can purchase those carbon credit certificates and use them to compensate their emissions. And in doing so, that double benefit: in one side. Now they have an economic incentive to move away from fossil fuels so that they don't have to be spending money on compensating for those emissions. And secondly, that money goes to fund very important projects such as renewable energy and in our case, forest restoration and conservation. As you know, forests remove carbon from the atmosphere as trees grow. And you know, thanks to this framework, if you have a piece of land in which you can plant trees or conserve an existing forest that otherwise would be cut down, you can get paid through carbon credits to continue doing that work. So that is the framework. And this framework has existed for many years. But unfortunately, until today, there wasn't a lot of technology, a lot of software powering the certification and exchange of those carbon credits. And that's what we decided to focus on at Pachama.
0: What kind of technology could be useful in the workflow of managing carbon offsets?
1: Yeah, so the first part is validating and monitoring how much carbon is being sequestered by a forest. And to do that, we use remote sensing data and machine learning algorithms that basically aim to predict how much carbon is there on a forest. In particular, for example, one of the models that we built trained on a combination of uh, satellite data coming from NASA, Landsat data, with LiDAR data coming from companies that collect that data from airplanes. And it's basically a three-dimensional cloud of points that gives you the shape of the structure of the forest. And then we have ground truth that is coming from forest services from around the world that send people to the field to count trees and measure trees with tapes and and know exactly how much carbon each of these trees have, you know. So then we run deep learning algorithms, convolutional neural networks to train on that data and then be able to predict how much carbon is there in a forest just using satellite. That is one of the parts of the stack that we're building, you know, being able to replicate the tests that are needed to validate how much carbon is being sequestered by a forest. Then the second part is really on the exchange of these credits. Today, that is done, you know, by brokers in a very manual way. And we built an online marketplace that basically allows the different parties to connect online. And then we have a, an exchange and an accounting system, you know, on the cloud that allows for the transactions to happen online and then for this credit to be retired and then through an API we connect to the public registries to make sure that everything you know gets settled on this you know public carbon accounting and then you know there's a lot of other cool things that can be done with technology to make this system more efficient and more transparent
0: Are you running a business or a nonprofit
1: This is a business we when we started the company, we thought about whether this should be a nonprofit or a business. But, you know, we had a clear business model, which is that if we could help increase the flow of capital going from corporations and governments towards projects that are doing reforestation and conservation, and we could take a commission out of the transactions that we facilitate, then we had a business model that is not that different from Airbnb or Uber or Zillow and if we could have a scalable business model that would allow us to grow faster and invest more in our technology and in growing our team that makes sense you know so it's a business model that is aligned with a mission that is not about profits but it's about protecting the planet and also you know by being a for profit company we could tap into venture capital and be able to just grow faster and you know the climate crisis is so urgent that 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 we need to go fast. And that's why we decided to go as a for-profit business.
0: Before we get into engineering more, can you speak a little bit more about where the profit margins lie? Like, where do you actually make money along this process?
1: Yeah, so on the online marketplace, where companies meet project developers and, you know, transact on the exchange of these carbon credits, we take a 20% commission. Again, similar to other online marketplaces out there. And all the data validation and monitoring that we do, that's something that we kind of offer for free or as part of the information that is given to buyers when they purchase current credits. In the future, when we use that data to help originate and certify projects, then there is a business model there too. But for now, we're just focusing on the transactions.
0: So walk me through a traditional or a typical transaction that a corporation might make on Pachama.
1: Yeah, let me use an example that is exciting because you know Shopify, for example. Shopify is a company that, as you may know, powers a lot of e-commerce sites, right? And Shopify came to us and they not only wanted to compensate their own emissions and purchase carbon credits. compensate their own emissions but they also wanted to offer their merchants the ability to offer carbon neutral shipping so with them of course the first step for them was to navigate through the marketplace and to you know study all the projects that we represent on the marketplace and to ask a lot of questions about them but then after they made the initial purchase they asked us can we do an integration with you guys and so we started building an api so that microtransactions could happen and they could you know, make these microtransactions on behalf of their merchants. So that was a case of not only them coming and, and selecting projects and purchasing projects in the marketplace, but also integrating a little bit deeper.
0: So let's say I select carbon neutral shipping on Shopify. What is actually happening on the back end when I'm checking out?
1: Yeah. So in one hand, there's going to be a calculation of what is the carbon footprint of the shipping. And to do that, basically there's a formula that calculates how many miles the package needs to travel. And then there is a coefficient that converts that mileage into carbon footprint. So once the estimation of how much carbon is to be compensated, then a microtransaction for the purchase of Uh, carbon credits gets triggered and then you know that basically retires credits from the public registries and retiring a credit means that that credit cannot be sold again and that money ends up going to a project developer in Brazil or Peru or the U.S. or Canada that is effectively conserving a forest or restoring a forest.
0: How do you find the forest projects that are on the carbon reduction side of pachama.
1: Yeah, good question. So today there are about 4 main certification bodies that issue those carbon credits and generally when a forest project developer or a forest owner wants to participate in this market, they go to some of these certification bodies. They go through, you know, a very thorough Process of due diligence, and then they get listed publicly on public registries. so what we did was initially going into these public registries and reaching out to this, all these project developers, inviting them to to list on our platform and Now that we have a good number of the existing projects and we want to help incentivize the creation of new forest projects, you know we really are partnering with non profit organizations and and you know just you know doing a lot of press to let people know that this market exists, and what's happening now is that they are starting to come to us and say, "Hey, I have five thousand hectares of forest in the southeast of the United States, and we'd love to to work with you guys to bring this forest to market and you know conserve and restore those lands so it's starting to happen you know initially we we went outbound if you want, and now it's happening they're coming to us, but of course, there's still a very long way to go. There's a lot of land that is available for forest restoration. So we have a a long way ahead.
0: Tell me more about the software underlying Pachama in terms of forest analysis.
1: Yeah. So I can talk a little bit about the data pipeline, you know, measuring forest biomass, is a hard problem. You need to basically be able to, you know, pull data from a lot of different sources. We pull data from NASA, we pull data from the European Space Agency, we pull data from private satellite companies such as Planet and Maxar, and we need to be able to ingest all that data and then be able to run that on a production-ready way, right? So it's been, you know, really lots of work, you know, for our engineering team. You know, to mention some of the tools that we use, we, we run everything on Google Cloud and use Kubernetes, Postgres, SQL, and then, of course, TensorFlow, NumPy, you know, Python in general. And then, yeah, so we have a team that is working on, on building that data pipeline, and then another team that is working more on the models and basically running a lot of different experiments and then training these models on the data that we have. And then there's another you know small team that is working on the exchange and the marketplace that pulls data through an API coming from that, you know, machine learning pipeline and then, you know, feeds into the exchange and the marketplace, you know, maps or charts or different ways in which we display the data that we produce from the machine learning pipeline.
0: What kinds of features of a forest are used to estimate the amount of carbon reduction that might be done by improving that forest?
1: Yeah, good question. So. The big question we need to answer is how much carbon is there on the forest? And carbon is a function of the size of the trees. And then, of course, the species of trees, because each species has a different carbon concentration on their trunks, on their, on their wood. So basically, the algorithms start to correlate the level of greenness that is observed on the satellite images. The height of the trees, which is taken from the LiDAR data, with the carbon concentration that we have on the field plots that we collect, right? So the, the algorithm starts to correlate, you know, greenness, height, and carbon, and then ends up coming up with, this, with these predictions. And so you feel a satellite image and you can predict that, you know, carbon concentration, height. We can also be able to detect a species type conifers and non-conifers by, you know, again, detecting the, the shape of the trees and the, and the greenness of the trees.
0: And how do you have your set of forests that are on the Pachama platform? Are you getting other people to submit the forests or do you manually select and find the forests that you're looking for investments in?
1: Yeah. So until today is, you know, people submitting forests to us and then, you know, they have to give us their KMC file, you know, their, their shape file that we use to then analyze those forests. But it's a good point that you're making because we're starting to think, how can we use the data? Because now we have global data of where is their standing forest? where is there deforestation expanding and and therefore putting those forests under risk and where is there potential for reforestation where the land would allow for trees to grow you know given the topography the climate the water flows and so forth so we are thinking how can we use this this global data that we have to go more proactively to say hey in this area there should be projects. And then, you know, reach out to the landowners of those areas, uh, inviting them to list on our platform. So that's something we haven't started yet, but but we're preparing for that, you know, to have a data-driven approach to project origination.
0: You've mentioned a couple elements of your stack. I think the first one to dive into is GCP. So you said you predominantly use GCP, or you're entirely on GCP. What do you like about Google Cloud?
1: Yeah, I think it was the integration with Kubernetes and, you know, Docker. What, uh, you know, the ease of use was what got us excited. We do have, you know, some experiments that are running also on Azure. And we also like a lot Azure. But yeah, I mean, Google Cloud uh, seems a very easy to use, scalable product The engineering team loved.
0: And tell me a little bit more about the technology choices. So you use Kubernetes... And you're using TensorFlow for your machine learning pipeline.
1: That's correct. Yes, yeah. TensorFlow again has been evolving a lot recently, and yeah. So recently we also had some Google team members uh, coming and helping us out, you know, with our data pipeline, our machine learning models. So you know, one of them work on designing and prototyping a new data processing layer based on Apache Beam. And this engineer actually comes from the Apache Beam team inside of Google. So he was able to help us on that front. And then, yes, I mean, modeling improvement is all the time, you know, something important to do. So that's, that's what the team is working at at the moment.
0: And what are the data sets that you're looking at? Is it satellite imagery mostly? Yeah.
1: So satellite, again, satellite, we tap into Landsat, which is uh, NASA's. Satellite that have been on orbit since 1984 and that have a good coverage of biomass globally. We also tap into radar data coming from the European Space Agency. There is a satellite called Sentinel, Sentinel 1 and 2, that produce radar data. And the good thing about that data set is that radar can look through clouds. And so in tropical forests where there is a lot of clouds, that is important. And then we also pull data from Planet, for example, which is a private satellite company. They produce high-definition satellite images that can be used to go very deep into understanding what's going on in a forest project. And then, as I was saying, LiDAR LiDAR is data that is generally collected by airplanes. And then we purchase this this data. And and there are some open data sets out there, but we, we incorporate that data into into our pipeline. One exciting data set that uh, we're tapping into is JEDI. The International Space Station recently installed a LIDAR there on the ISS and is uh, collecting data from the entire planet. And so that's, that's pretty cool because we're going to have LIDAR coverage of the entire, you know, all forests globally. And we're starting to use that data to also train some algorithms.
0: Tell me about working with these satellite images, like what kinds of processing is necessary to derive meaningful features and data from the satellite imagery?
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess that the key is on combining these different data sets. And, you know, we had to train models for entire regions, for entire landscapes, you know, so for example, we have to train a model for the entire Amazon rainforest. And we're talking about lots of data. So in that sense, you know, it was a challenge to decide what are we going to store locally? What are we going to keep outside of our own storage? And yeah, it's, it's really a work in progress when you're dealing with such big data sets.
0: And what about some of the internal tooling that you've built? to manage the different projects, the forest projects, and to manage the carbon estimation?
1: Yeah, so we built an internal exchange platform that basically keeps account. It's almost like an accounting system that keeps account for each single project. How many credits have they certified? And then what is the carbon you know, sequestration of the project? and and, and we have to, you know, basically also account for the transactions. How much money are these projects receiving? What is the price per ton? Uh, What's the availability of these projects? So, yeah, that was, that was a quite exciting project of, you know, building an entire accounting and exchange internal system. But now with that in place, we can, we can really start to scale.
0: Where are the best forests for carbon capture?
1: Yeah, great question. The forests that have the biggest carbon concentration are tropical forests, right? So the Amazon rainforest in Brazil, Peru, Colombia, Venezuela, and, you know, in Africa, you have the Congo rainforest. In Asia, you have forests in Indonesia, in Borneo, in Southeast Asia in general, there are many areas with lush rainforest. But boreal forests are also great. And here in the US and Canada and in Russia and in Europe, there's there is a lot of boreal forests that sequesters a lot of carbon. And then, you know, there are certain type of trees that grow faster, you know, like eucalyptus and, and pines, which historically have been used for timber, that they can effectively also be used to sequester carbon. So the short answer is everywhere. We are putting a big focus on the tropical forest because there is multiple benefits. Not only these are... The biggest carbon sinks, but they are also the forest with the highest biodiversity, the habitat for millions of species. And you know climate is one of the crises that we are facing, but biodiversity loss is another one that has big implications for health on the planet. So that's what we're putting big focus on on the amazon and and other tropical forests.
0: So now that we've covered this in little fractures of how the overall platform works, I'd like to revisit the higher level view. So from what I understand, I'm a corporation. I want to offer a product that lowers carbon emissions, like a Shopify checkbox that makes a a higher, a more expensive shipping option that does carbon emissions. And then the additional dollars gets sent into Pachama and gets allocated to a Pachama project. And then that eventually leads to more plants being planted at those locations, for example. Uh, Am I understanding things correctly?
1: Yeah, yeah, that's correct. That's correct. So as more and more companies pledge to be carbon neutral and move into, you know, purchasing carbon credits through our platform and through other, you know, uh, means, that means that more money is going to be flowing to projects that are either planting Trees are conserving standing forests and basically not cutting down those trees that, you know, they would otherwise. And in the planet, there is about a billion hectares available for forest restoration and 3 billion hectares of standing forest. So yeah, that flow of capital hopefully will help restore massive amount of forest and sequestering a lot of carbon, which is key to solve climate change. So yeah, you got it right there.
0: What are the hardest engineering problems you've had to solve recently?
1: Yeah, I think probably the hardest one was building that data pipeline, you know, that could scale ingestion of multiple data sets coming from lots of different sources, and then be able to run machine learning modeling in production at scale globally. And yeah, we had to, you know, we did a first version, then we did a refactoring of that, and, and that is almost in production now and, and you know, quite excited about, you know, having a strong foundation on the front.
0: How do you see the company evolving in the next five to 10 years?
1: Yeah, I hope that Pachama would become the leader of the carbon offsets market in which all the corporations and governments that want to, to have an impact compensating their carbon footprint, you know, use and come to us to, to help them not only purchase carbon credits but we, hopefully we can we can expand into helping them track their emissions plan you know how to reduce those emissions and then invest on carbon sequestration and then you know on the side of the forest we hope to not only help them get paid for restoring their forest but also build software tools for them to plan those activities for them to track those activities for them to manage internally those activities, which is you know quite complex and nobody's building software for them. So those are some of the areas where we see ourselves expanding.
0: Just to revisit this, why is this so important for large corporations? Why do large corporations care about carbon offset?
1: Well, they are receiving pressure from a lot of different stakeholders, you know, from employees who care about you know their companies having a positive impact on the climate to investors that care a lot about ESG compliance, which is a framework by which you know corporations get assessed on public markets from governments and regulations. You know, there's there's an increasing pressure from governments in different countries about you know companies emissions. So today the more forward looking corporations are you know moving ahead on achieving net zero and, and having a neutral climate impact. In the future all corporations will have to do it, you know, either through regulations or because, of, or because that's going to be the norm, right? So I think it's a matter of, you know, corporate responsibility and responding to all their stakeholders.
0: How effective is reforestation in terms of preventing global warming from advancing? How does it compare to other approaches like electrification of automobile fleets or, I don't know, carbon sequestration, stuff like that?
1: Yeah, I mean, we have to do all of that, all of the above. We don't think that forest is uh, the only answer, but we we do know is that, again, there is the potential in the planet for planting one trillion new trees. And there is an estimation that those trees could sequester about 200 gigatons of carbon and you know, it's not super clear how much carbon humans have put in the atmosphere since the Industrial Revolution, but, but there is an estimation that that number is around 300 gigatons. So we're talking about the possibility of removing two-thirds of what we put out there. And of course, it's going to take a couple of decades, but that could really reverse the cost of climate change on a meaningful way. And if in addition to doing that carbon sequestration by forests, we move away from fossil fuels, electrifying transportation and industry. And if in addition to that, we can also ramp up some of this industrial carbon sequestration to go faster. I think that we, we really have a shot at reversing catastrophic climate change. And there is going to be some climate change that is already underway. We're already seeing it with the fires, you know, in forests worldwide with, you know, so many natural disasters that are happening and with temperatures rising. So, while some, some climate change is already happening, you know, we think that this is a, a very key piece and that we can effectively reverse the worst of this crisis.
0: With the donations to various projects on Pachama, how do you ensure the proper flow of dollars? How do you prevent, for example, you know, kind of evil characters from removing the dollars and just taking them away from, from the NGO?
1: Yeah, that is super important in this market. We make sure that, you know, it's about making sure that all the credits get retired from the public registries. Public registries are the mechanisms that we have to be able to audit that the credits have been retired. And and then, yes, we have an auditable system that transfer payments from the buyers of carbon credits to the project developers that then do the work on the field. So yeah, for us, it's, it's super important that that those systems are auditable and that the information is kept, you know, with a lot of integrity. And in the past, everything was in a more done in a more manual way. I think that you know the fact that now everything can get recorded on cloud-based platforms, I think is is a big advancement for the auditability of these systems.
0: I like to go back to the engineering. Can you tell me some of the defaults for how code is written at Pachama and just the engineering processes?
1: Sure. You know, I think we use pretty standard tools and practices, you know. Of course, we use GitHub, we use Notion, which is, you know, this uh, knowledge sharing platform in which, you know, we we write down our engineering principles and then we use Asana for project management. So, yeah, again, trying to bring the best practices, but also keep it simple. Each engineer has a set of challenges and and runs on their own. We generally use OKRs to set objectives for ourselves, and then each engineer will take on a particular challenge and run. And then, you know, we have a weekly sync app in which everybody comes together and, and makes a demo of what they're working on and make sure that that everything comes together in a nice way.
0: Do you have any struggles with the machine learning deployment process, like the model training and deployment process?
1: Yes, it's always, you know, a challenge. Again, as I said, in our case, we're talking about thousands of weird shapes on a map that is part of our our analysis, right? And again, you know, using... Some of the tools that I mentioned before is that we were able to to improve the deployment and be able to have, you know, a production-ready global system like a train on the different data sets that we have. But yeah, it's always a work full of challenges.
0: Are there any data sets that you wish you had access to? Are there any data sets that would let you have greater insight into what is actually improving the carbon reduction through forests?
1: Yes, good question. So each country as part of the commitments towards the United Nations and the Paris Agreement is supposed to build a forest inventory. And a forest inventory is basically sending foresters to you know their lands and collecting a bunch of field plot data. And so those data sets exist on the forest services or the, you know, agricultural ministries of every country who signed the Paris Agreement. And some countries are more open than others about sharing the data, right? So we've been knocking on the doors of especially the, the countries with the biggest forest, right? Tropical forest countries. And we were able to obtain some of them but but not all of them. So yes, top of our wish list is having access to these national forest inventories that can help us train our models and improve the accuracy of our predictions.
0: All right. Well, as we we wind to a close, I'd love to get a little bit more on your perspective of where we're going with global warming. Do you have any predictions for how bad it's going to get? What kinds of natural disasters are going to occur?
1: Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, I think that things will get worse before they get better. I do think that we will continue to see bigger and more serious fire seasons in places like California, Australia, Siberia, and the Amazon rainforest. We will see some level of sea rise that will cause problems in places like Miami or any you know, city that is at sea level. And unfortunately we will see more hurricanes and big storms and typhoons in places like Southeast Asia and the Caribbean. Now, Another thing that is possible that we will see is the desertification of certain areas where agriculture happens today. But as I said, I am optimistic. I do think that this is not a lost battle. And the next two decades, the 20s and the 30s, are the key ones. So if I had to make a prediction, I would say that the that the 20s, the decade ahead, is going to be a decade that's going to see several uh, natural disasters. And in the 30s, hopefully, we're going to have a lot of mitigation in place. And by the 40s, we're hopefully going to be on, on our way to really a full decarbonization and hopefully, you know, even more mitigation frameworks and mitigation solutions, you know, in place. But yeah, it's definitely a crisis and we have to, you know, get started right now to turn the ship around.
0: Well, Diego, that seems like a good place to close off. Do you have anything else to add about Pachama or what you're working on?
1: Sure, sure. I mean, you know, we are a small team. We are 12 uh, team members and we went fully remote. And, uh, you know, since we started the company, we, we wanted to be a fully remote company. And then, of course, you know, COVID sending everybody to work from home accelerated our intention to, to be a remote company. So in the last six months, we've been learning a lot of practices to coordinate ourselves remotely and it's also been fun to see you know team members move around and be wherever they want to be. One of our engineers is actually living in a van and traveling in the coast of California. Another engineer is in Missouri, another in Utah. You know, another engineer actually moved to a farm in the Napa area of California. So it's just you know great to see people going and working from wherever they are the happiest. And I would say that we are growing our team. We're gonna be hiring We're looking for full-stack software engineers, machine learning engineers, data scientists, and we'll continue to grow our team. So if anybody listening to this podcast wants to work on the climate crisis, please come and talk to us on our website. You can find our contact information.
0: Diego, thanks for coming on the show.
1: Thank you so much, Jeffrey. Have a good day.